This is where Texas politics gets interesting. Here again are two guys named Jason, some great guests, and cold Texas beer for another smart conversation on Yolitics, the unofficial political podcast of Texas. Hey, hey guys, this is, uh, let, let me do this. Well, okay, I'll let you do the whole thing. I'm just going to log off now. So, no, 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 because, listen, sometimes things just fall in your lap, right? They do. This is not the podcast we were anticipating to release uh, for this episode, but we got a phone call the other day, and... You got a phone call. Let's I, let, let's say it like it really what? is. Whiteley is connected to everybody. Nobody knows me, and the pe- few people who do don't like me. So <laughs> Whiteley it, gets dude. all the calls, and I just come along for the ride. N- never mind who got the call. Point is, they called us, and they said, hey, uh, would you like to have on the, the two prosecutors uh, who are going to present the case against Ken Paxton to the Texas Senate? And you're like, is this a rhetorical question? Yeah. Yes. Are you kidding me? Yes. And the prosecutors, if you've been around Texas for a minute, you'll know the names. If you haven't been around Texas for a minute, you probably know the names. If not, you should know the names. It's Dick DeGaron and Rusty Harden. These guys have impeccable careers. They've represented names you know. They've gotten people out of trouble. They are. Let's do some of the names. Let's yeah, do some of the let's names. Let's hop into I mean, them. Uh, former U.S. House Majority Leader Tom DeLay, U.S. Senator Kay Bailey Hutchison, David Koresh from the Branch Davidians, Robert Durst, Arthur Anderson in the Enron case, Scotty Pippen, Roger Clemens, uh, the Marshall Estate in the Anna Nicole Smith case. These guys. Warren Moon. Just, I mean, yeah. Warren Moon. Yeah. Just uh, over the years, uh, these huge celebrity cases, athlete cases, huge financial scandal cases, they've been at the heart of so many of these. If they ever come to pick me up, for whatever I've done. Um, these are the guys I'm calling. I'll probably have to sell my house and cash out the 401k and everything else to pay for them, though. I, I, I've watched both of these guys. I worked in Houston before I moved up to Dallas, so don't hold that against me. Um, but I, I've watched both of these guys present cases, uh, defend their clients, and these guys are incredible to watch. They're just they're, they're amazing to watch. So these will be the guys in, in August, uh, if not sooner, who will be presenting the case uh, for impeachment and conviction against Ken Paxton in the Texas Senate. And Jason, this gives you an idea. We've got uh, you know, a dozen members of the House who are also impeachment officers who are sure. you know going to, to, to handle the impeachment. And who are attorneys. This, yes, yes. This, though, naming these two marquee names that are, I mean, they're described as lions in the Texas Bar Association. I mean, Naming these two to this case lets you know what the House is putting into this impeachment against Ken Paxton. This is a not just a shot across the bow. This is a shot straight into the ship to let them know that this is this is going to be a marquee event. Yeah, the message it sends by hiring Rusty Harden and Dick DeGaron is, is incredible. It, it surprised me when I heard it. I, I called a friend of mine in Houston, and the first thing he said is, did you hear what happened with DeGaron and Harden? Both of these guys are Houston-based attorneys. They've represented people all over the United States, Republicans, Democrats, all across the political spectrum. That doesn't matter. These guys are, are trained and honed in uh, on, on their legal expertise, and, and they arguably do it. I have a lot of attorney friends. Uh, and maybe I should have gone to law school, but these guys are arguably, uh, not arguably, they're the top of the top. I mean, I, I think yeah. any attorney friend of mine would probably say the same thing. 
Yeah, we both, by the way, should have gone to law school. I've thought that many times over the years. Podcast school. Okay, with no, further, with no further ado, though, let's, uh, let's jump right in here because you don't want to keep two guys like this waiting anyway. I mean, Jason, we can't even afford the time with them that we've already <laughs> taken leading up to this. So let's dive in. I've got a million questions. First of all, guys, thank, thanks for being here. It's an honor to even have you guys here. I, I've watched both of you in trial. Uh, Dick, I, I've covered the Durst trial in Galveston. I, I've seen both of you guys do your work. And it's for, for any Texan or any listener who hasn't seen it, please watch uh, at least the next trial coming up here because it's fascinating to see these two pros. But but let me let me start with this here. Um, and, and I'll ask both of you what you, what you think about it. You're, you're usually defending folks like Ken Paxton. You're not prosecuting folks like Ken Paxton. I know you have a prosecutorial background, uh, Rusty, but tell us how this started. Who called you? Why did you say yes? How did it all come about? Rusty, we'll start with you. I got a call from uh, the, the speaker and the vice chair uh, Saturday afternoon after the vote, probably about an hour or so or two after, after the vote. Um, and then uh, I talked to him again on uh, Sunday and I said, yes, I hesitated for about a minute because uh, as I've told Dick, I, I have five grandchildren and we had two different scheduled vacations with them uh, separate with the two families just because they've got different ages. And this, I don't, depending on the schedule, this may be a, a huge problem there, but that's how I got contacted then. I think Dick can tell you, but he was probably contacted roughly right at the same time. And was yeah, it I was same, same question? I was contacted uh, right after the impeachment vote uh, by Andy Murr, the chairman of the investigating committee, and I hesitated for about a nanosecond. I'd been <laughs> watching this uh, for quite some time, and uh, I was uh, eager uh, and honored and uh, flattered to be asked to sit in it. I found out about Rusty's uh, involvement uh, after I said yes, and uh, uh, that even made me more happy that I was in it because it's uh, a great opportunity for us to work together. Yeah, well, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I want to just jump in there to say yeah. I totally agree with everything you just said. Uh, it, was, it was the uh, chairman also that I talked to, but the, the more important thing is what Dick said that I think we're both honored and flattered. And, and I will add into what he was saying is I think, because uh, Dick has said this as well, I don't think, even though we followed it in the media and all, I, I think the facts are much worse than either one of us guessed that we did not know until we the last week started reading things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I want to ask you, you Rusty, oh, uh, about Rusty having a prosecutorial background. Actually, I started in the DA's office also, uh, just as Rusty did. We both got our starts there. I, I didn't uh, stay as long as he did, and I fully recovered from that. But having said that, uh, you know, as, as lawyers uh, who've practiced in the courts uh, for a combined total of over 100 years, we're used to, we're quite accustomed to evaluating the prosecution's case. And when it comes to evaluating the case here, uh, the evidence is strong as horseradish. And uh, Rusty's right about that. It's worse than the public knows. 
Just you know, to ask you real quickly there, though, yeah. uh, to put a finer point on that, you all have made these just legendary careers, though, out of being defense attorneys. Why this case? What you you know, both of you, you, you have nothing to prove anymore. You you've done this for years. You've had high profile cases. Why this case? Why did you decide I need to be on the side of the prosecution and I will say yes to this? For seven years, his conduct in all kinds of ways. It's not a single incident or two or three, as I've said. It is a whole pattern of conduct uh, that is that is just a cancer on the justice system in Texas. And this has nothing to do with it being a Republican. It has nothing to do with his politics and who he supported. It has nothing to do with that. It has solely the way he has conducted himself and made a mockery of the top chief law enforcement officer in the state of Texas. And, and one of the things I think Dick and I have agreed on real quickly, I, uh, I, I take my hat off to the Republicans in the House um, that voted this against one of their own and put uh, the state and the state's interest above party. I mean, that vote is really, really fascinating to me. Of 20, and 61 Democrats, 60 Republicans, uh, many of them people who have supported him uh, and many of them who agree with him politically. But they took a giant step up and put the, the, the welfare of the public in the state of Texas above their own own party. And I, I think they're they're entitled to deserve nothing more than tremendous compliments for it. I, I agree wholeheartedly. And uh, another thing that I want to say, and I'm sure Rusty and I agree on this, we've dedicated our professional lives to the court systems, to the justice system. And we don't want a crook in it. Uh, that's you, do, you can't trust the outcome of a case unless you've got honest people on both sides with integrity who follow the rules. Uh, and um, so it's a matter of cleansing the justice system to take out somebody who doesn't respect it and abuses it as the evidence shows uh, Paxson has done in this case. I you hope know, you don't... Go ahead, Rusty. Yeah, I was just going to say that the interesting thing about Dick and I doing this together is we, we've sort of been on, on different routes. Though he started as a prosecutor, I was there over 15 years, and I was 49 before I went into private practice. Dick went in much earlier, made a whole bunch of money long before I was even in private practice, and represented some people. If you look at who we've represented, this thing is kind of consistent for our careers. I've I've prosecuted Republicans, I've prosecuted Democrats, I've represented Republicans, I've represented Democrats. And Dick's case, you know, he's represented a Republican senator, he's represented a public con a congressman, and, and our careers, it's kind of funny that we end up at this stage on the same side, because many times, most of the time, we were either against each other on an issue or actually in the case. Uh, but what we've discovered very quickly, we've had uniformly the same reaction to being appalled at the facts that that system that we've dedicated our lives to and that everybody else has to that has so much to do with how the average person has served that it can be used this way consistently and so that brings us to what dick and i both said yesterday what is critically important here is a public airing of all this so it's not just two lawyers we recognize the public's not going to believe what dick and i say about it we're advocates uh, we have a client, but 
What's really important here is that the Senate allow a full-throated public trial with witnesses from both sides, with the opportunity for each side to cross-examine, for the, for the Attorney General to put out his side, people on his behalf, and everybody can judge for themselves. And, and as long as that happens, we'll live with the result. Russ, your camera's kind of moving around. Didn't know if you if you could tell that or not. Is it on top of your laptop or a, a phone? Yeah, what I've got is I've got an iPad on the table, but I think that was me. What a mistake ah. I made is I put my hands on the table. And it's no, a little no. tiny glass table. We can start over. No, 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 no. Let's all no, start no. over. It's <laughs> great. Let, let, let's fine. keep going here. But but let me ask you this. Well, number one, I I hope you don't I feel like I know you guys. Uh so I hope you don't mind me using your first names. Um, but no, but, we both prefer that. Okay, Dick, you said just a moment ago uh, that the evidence will blow your mind, I believe. Uh, Russ, you said the same thing the other day, that it's 10 times worse uh, than has been made public. We all kind of watch this because it's kind of been bubbling right below the surface for years. What else is there that hasn't been laid out in the House General Investigating Committee or in the indictment? or the, Not the indictment, but the, the articles of impeachment. I don't, I don't I, I'll do it real quickly then, Dick, please. I don't think it's going to be new events. I think the events are out there. It's the evidence and the repeated uh, and all of the ways it went around and how blatant and how when his own people kept saying, you can't do that. You can't do that. That's illegal. He would just keep doubling down when confronted with what he shouldn't do, couldn't do, illegal, wrong, unethical. He would just double down and keep on doing it. And then he'd come back to him and try it another way. And then he would put people in his staff in these incredibly embarrassing situations on things that are major, significant ways the system is run, those kind of things. And, and, but I, and I don't want to suggest a new events that y'all haven't heard about. No, Did no. But uh, in addition to that, uh, when the people that should have been uh, the ones that he listened to, the ones with experience and the ones with integrity in the uh, attorney general's office told him what he didn't want to hear, he'd retaliate against them. Uh, that's part of what this is about. Uh, and in fact, uh, if it hadn't been for those people, the whistleblowers who tried to tell him, don't do this. And then when he kept on doing it, they went to the authorities. Uh, he punished them for whistleblowing. And uh, finally he had to settle a $3.3 million judgment. And then he tried to get the people of the state of Texas to pay for it. <laughs> That's the most incredible thing. <laughs> you know, the, the committee made very clear uh, in his, his reported issue this. This would never have happened if he hadn't had the gall to go to this legislature and ask him to pay for money for his misdeeds. And the reason the settlement was happening, of course, was keeping the public from knowing and going through the discovery process. Those those, what was settled, just so the public knows this, where the whistleblowers were fired for the things that they said uh, and they told him not to do. And so he went, they reported to law enforcement as they were ethically and morally obligated to do. He fires them, but they sue. But before discovery starts and before witnesses are deposed and all of that, that would have really showed how outrageous what he'd been doing for five, six, seven years was he settled. And then... <laughs> With the all-time Hutzler reaction, he asked the legislature to pay for it. That's what started the investigation. It's not about politics. It's about that. I want to mention one final thing. The impeachment process is not to punish the offender, okay? It's designed to protect the public. 
and in, in protecting the public, you remove the person from the office while it's being determined whether he should be permanently removed. Whether or not he gets punished with criminal conduct or anything like that, that's over for the regular courts, the regular course of events that every citizen faces. This process is to decide whether his conduct has been so egregious and such a, and such a basically a treasonous act to the public, to his obligation, to his duties, as to whether he ought to be removed. Paxton has already come out, of course, and said, though, that, you know what, the voters knew about the, these charges against me and I've been reelected and reelected. Uh, you know, but if you go back and you look at the polling, most voters said that they weren't terribly familiar with the charges uh, against him. So I'm curious, we're heading into we're, we're in summer here. This is going to happen in the summer. People are busy doing other things. Are you able to put on a case there in the Capitol? that people are going to be able to A, follow, B, pay attention to, C, understand when you lay this out? Because it's one thing you've got to convince these senators, but don't you also have to convince the people and, and get their attention with this? You two have never had trouble, by the way, getting people's attention when you go to trial. Well, I understand that, that problem. And there's an old saying in the Navy, and that is, there's always some sailors that don't get the word. And so there are people that just won't uh, pay attention to it. But I'm hopeful that the public will see because it's the public's uh, best interest that we're after here. Uh, this and what we're supposed to do, what Rusty and my obligation is to do is to present the evidence. And in doing that, what we're uh, greatly helped by the crew that went before us, the special investigators that were appointed by the investigating committee, all fine lawyers and investigators who dug deep and uh, in very pressing circumstances in just a few months found the witnesses and got them to go on the record uh, to substantiate, and they learned more, uh, to substantiate all these articles of impeachment. There's 20 of them. And they're, they're specific and uh, the evidence is there. It's very strong. Another thing is the, when, when the attorney general says everybody knew that and still reelected him. And that's what he's really trying to put his hat on there is the forgiveness doctrine that says essentially if bad conduct about a public official uh, is out and the public knows that and they still reelect him and everything, then he gets forgiven. But what he omits to say is two things. One is the public really did not know. And Dick and I, we followed this in the newspaper as much as anybody. We had no idea of what the true conduct was, how repeated it was, and the nature of it. So the public did not know. In fact, nobody really knows uh, until they hear this evidence. Um, and the committee that the the, uh, the committee that heard it didn't know before then. But the second thing is forgiveness doctrine doesn't apply to the impeachment process. The legal reason is the impeachment process is built into the Constitution. And the Texas Supreme Court has ruled that the impeachment process is not subject to forgiveness because if they were, if it was, no matter how outrageous the conduct uh, the official committed, he could never be criminally charged because the forgiveness, the forgiveness doctrine, if it applied, would mean that that one trial he had in impeachment forgave everything. And so then he, he could you know, I think one of the, he could shoot about 10 people in office, et cetera, and an impeachment 
trial would do it. So, and if the forgiveness doctrine happens. So the Supreme Court has been very clear, no forgiveness doctrine uh, in a case of impeachment if the person you're, if the process that you're using is built into the constitution. And that's exactly what we're guided by here. Yeah, and what Rusty's talking about uh, is uh, over a hundred years ago in the first impeachment, in the state of Texas against Governor Jim Ferguson, who was called Paul Ferguson, who was taking bribes, and selling uh, pardons and so forth. And he raised that same question. Well, the forgiveness doctrine is I've been reelected and everybody knew about it. The Supreme Court said, uh-uh, buddy, too bad. The forgiveness doctrine does not apply to impeachment proceedings. The two impeachment process, and there was another one after Dick talking about it, 75 of a judge. In both of those cases, the conduct that was being challenged occurred both before and after, uh, and the Supreme Court held as the way Dick is saying. So, so House managers, the, these elected lawmakers, are also going to be uh, in, in this process here. Can you explain your role a little more? And, and you know, how will you be working back and forth with them? Will you guys be on the front row, I presume, you know, the ones standing up presenting the case to the senators? And then secondly, how do you prepare for this? Because it's not like a normal discovery where you take depositions and, and things like that, I, I don't think. is it? Dick, we'll start with you, sir. Well, yeah, what we believe, of course, the rules haven't been written yet, but what we believe is that Rusty and I will be the uh, prosecutors. We will be presenting the evidence to support the articles of impeachment. As far as preparing for it, so much of that has already been done for us by these fine people that went before us. And uh, the way to see their presentation is to go see the presentation they made to the investigating committee. But we've talked with them, we've met with them there. We, uh, we know all of them from past experience and uh, we have tremendous respect for them. They're all younger than we are, but then everybody is. <laughs> well, you know what? It'd be easier to act like they weren't if Dick wouldn't keep telling everybody how long he and I've been doing this. <laughs> but I, I agree, it, it, it's a great staff and, and, and we'll, Hopefully, uh, we'll be putting on witnesses, uh, and that's the way we will try to do it. Um, but what, what do you mean, hopefully, Rusty? Are, are, are those witnesses not well, locked up or what? No, what, yeah, because what Dick just said, the rules are going to be developed okay. by the Senate, and we won't know what those rules are until June 20th. Uh, but presumably, it will be as much like a trial, although it's it's not a trial, a criminal, not like a criminal trial, uh, but as much like a trial in terms of its openness, its exposure, its transparency with witnesses and cross and so on. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, what we hope we're going to have is just a full body exposure where everybody can know whether they like it, whether they stick with it, whether they get interested in it. We obviously have no control over it. Dick and I will obviously do our best to make it interesting. I want to ask you this. Uh, we can bet it'll be interesting with the two of you, just judging by the cases we've seen over the years. But, you know, you, you talk about this case that was laid out by the House investigative panel last week. We sat in on that just for educational purposes, just because, you know, people run to Twitter and get in their camps and start going at it over these things without listening to the facts. Uh, so we put it on this podcast in its entirety for people to listen to just for That's posterity good. purposes. You'd be amazed how many people have downloaded that and listened to it. It's it's, it's quite surprising and, and, and actually kind of comforting, really, that people are paying attention. 
I couldn't help during that presentation, though, from listening to them lay out all of these different details about the alleged corruption while he has been in office. These are allegations coming from his own handpicked top staffers. And supposedly the, the feds have been looking into this case for a couple of years now. And I just kept thinking, if all of this detail is known, why hasn't the federal government brought a criminal case against Paxton yet? Do you all have any guesses on that? Is his office, is it just the fact that he's in office and that sort of protects him? It makes it harder to bring a case? Should he be more worried if, they, if he does get impeached and removed here, that he'd be more vulnerable in that case? Well, we, we've uh, asked that same question, and uh, we really, <clears throat> there has been uh, communication back and forth between the federal authorities and, and the committee, uh, but uh, these are two independent uh, uh, investigations, and although uh, Mr. Paxton can't go to jail, uh, as uh, he can only be impeached and convicted and removed from office with this, there still are outstanding criminal investigations and a, and a very serious first-degree felony outstanding criminal uh, indictment against him that has been pending now for almost eight years. Uh, but uh, we, that means our clients, the House of Representatives and their committee, can't stand by and just let, let that run its course. It's already tried to run its course over seven to eight years. And I think the importance of this is that it was actually uh, instigated when uh, General Paxton tried to get the people of Texas to pay three, over $3 million for his screw-ups. Yeah, Rusty, me... before you chime in on that, Dick, uh, just to clarify there, there have been communications then between this committee and the information that they've been able to develop in speaking with witnesses and the federal government that's been looking into these allegations? I think there's been communications, but I, th I think those communications are private uh, and uh, I, I'm not a party to them. But the point is that uh, the state has an obligation to go forward, whether the feds do anything or not, or whether the, the, the state authorities that have the uh, indictments go ahead or not. This is something that has to do with protecting the people uh, of the state of Texas from a corrupt attorney general. Yeah, Sorry, Rusty, so, yeah, yeah. So what I was going to jump in is, is along that line, just to keep it going. I want, I personally, and I don't think Dick disagrees. I don't think he disagrees with us at all about this. I want to separate out this talk about the Attorney General having committed crimes, the federal investigation of it, from the impeachment process. The impeachment process addresses a lot more things that potentially are not crimes. It's a very different uh, aspect than the federal system. The federal system is high crimes and misdemeanors. That's the standard for impeachment. Uh, the state system, when the, when the Texas Constitution was developed, specifically chose not to use that language. And the language it used was simply, it, it is conduct basically unfit. And this impeachment is, you can be doing things for cronies. You can be uh, firing people because they were whistleblowers. You can be doing all kinds of things that, that demean the office and are misconduct in the office that are not crimes necessarily, okay? Uh, and you can be doing things that don't certainly rise to the level of the federal standard of high, you know, felonies and, and misdemeanors, but 
if this issue here is whether or not, given the conduct of, of what he has done in these situations, the way he's tried to interfere with federal investigations, the first five of them are deals and stuff he was doing for friends and had to do with the charity in which he is supposed to be guarding uh, the well-being of a charity and instead intervenes for his friend to try to help his friend against the charity he has a sworn duty to try to support. All kinds of things in there that do not rise to the level of crimes. And so our hope and our belief is that, that a, a senatorial trial in which all of this laid out is people have a, they don't have to decide whether you committed a crime. That's over here to the right, that's for others to decide. Their decision is gonna be is, should he be removed from office given this whole totality of circumstances? And, and that's why what I said earlier, that the impeachment process is not designed to punish the guy or the woman. It is designed, as Dick just said, to protect the public. And that's a different thing as to whether you're going to punish him for a crime or find him guilty of a crime. There is no necessity or even relevance to whether he committed crimes in terms of whether he should be impeached. Russ, I know we're almost out of time with you here. Uh, I have a couple more quick questions uh, for both of you guys. But uh, Russ, let me start with you. Th these obviously aren't any jurors that we're talking about here like you have in, in, in a court case. These are elected officials, politicians who want to get reelected. How challenging do you think it's going to be to, to get them to consider the evidence over the party label and, and the votes? Yeah, I, you know... Uh... I'm pretty Pollyannish about this, uh, and and the glass is half full. I was tremendously heartened by what happened in the House. At that stage, I, I, I really hadn't even thought about whether he should or should not be impeached. I was just amazed that in this climate we have today, of uh, a, a high partisanship on the part of both parties and strong feelings against the other on the part of both parties, that 60 Republicans voted uh, to, to have this case presented to the Senate. And, and that's what the impeachment process was. It was like a grand jury indictment. There is, there is certainly enough here, they say, even, even those who are very partial to him, that it ought to be heard in an open forum at a trial. I, I believe that the, the, you know, I don't know many of the senators, I know maybe a few, but I'm going to take it face value that they're going to follow uh, their oath and their obligation, and they're going to decide whether what this man has done meets the test of him having, being removed from office. Now, they're not going to be deciding, whether, as I've said repeatedly, whether he goes to penitentiary or any other kind of crimes or whether he's convicted of a crime or whether he becomes a felon. They're going to be deciding whether, given his course of conduct, he's fit to be the attorney general of, of the state of Texas. And I'm optimistic. I'm, Dick and I have lived careers of not wanting juries to prejudge things before they get in the box. Because, you know, we've talked about things here, Dick and I both yesterday and today, we really haven't gone into the specific facts of each case because with that's, we're going to let the, 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 the Senate hear that uh, and hear it live from people and, and make, be able to make their own judgment. Um, yeah, you know, uh, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, right is right, wrong is wrong. And so, as Rusty says, we were heartened by the fact that 70% of the Republicans in the House voted to impeach him. Every representative from his county, Collin County, voted to, rep to impeach him. And uh, so I'm hopeful that 
the, the, whether you're Republican or a Democrat in the Senate, when you hear the evidence, you will know what's right and you'll know what's wrong. So um, we're, we're very optimistic about that. Um, I, I think that uh, when they hear, just to summarize what the charges are, you hear that they involve dereliction of duty, bribery, abuse of public trust, uh, retaliation, conspiracy, misappropriation of uh, public resources, uh, and false statements. Um, how can uh, a senator, Republican or Democrat, liberal or conservative, in due conscience allow someone like that to remain the top cop uh, of Texas? Guys, I have a, a quick two-part question for you here, and I say that because that's the way I filibuster and keep Whiteley from talking. The first uh, part is a quick one. If I were in trouble, you two, I would definitely love to call you to help me out. I don't think I could afford you. Is this a well-paying gig for the two of you? <laughs> uh, it's not uh, pro bono, but it's not uh, anywhere near what uh, uh, Rusty or I uh, are worth. Okay, that's a good answer. I like that. I don't know what uh, it's worth. I think what we ordinarily charge. No, we, we've both taken a considerable discount, and I, I think the fees will become public at some time. I can't imagine that not and people can judge for themselves, but it's obviously a, a very, very strong discount from what we would ordinarily do. Um, but as Dick said, it's not pro bono. We don't want to, want to make anybody think it is. And even if we wanted to, uh, there's a rule against, uh, you know, gifts of public servants. And uh, actually, so there, the, the state has to pay just like everybody else does. But we want to take That's into consideration point. that it's the state and that uh, at the end of the day, uh, we, uh, uh, we hope that they get what they've paid for. But if they don't, to go back to what the last question is, I really, really an optimistic that we'll get a fair trial from the Senate. And then, it, and then if it's all open and, and contested, as we talked about, then the public can decide whether they agree with the Senate and the Senate can, can reach their own conclusions. But we haven't mentioned that it requires two thirds of them. Mm -hmm. The second part of that question was the Texas Tribune said that uh, the House has brought in, quote, history book level attorneys. Uh, both of you, oh, you, you know, y'all, y'all chuckle, uh, but you, you, you're legends uh, here in this state. I'm, I'm curious. You always have the burden of proof when you're in a courtroom. With this particular case, how much does the burden of history sit on your shoulders? Because obviously, both of you feel a, a real drive to take this on. I'm, I'm very conscious of that. Uh, there's only been two other impeachments in the history. Uh, of Texas, and I'm, I'm very conscious that this is important and that history will be written whatever happens here. And in that regard, uh, and I don't want to sound too maudlin, but I want to set an example. Uh, and I, I know, I mean, uh, I know that Rusty feels this way. I want to set an example so that the people can look at what lawyers do, what we do, and be proud uh, that uh, because lawyers, you know, they don't have a lot of social standing with people generally. Well, Ken Paxton's a lawyer, and a lot of people are not feeling good about what they've heard uh, about him right now. Uh, he's an embarrassment. You know, I'm sorry, uh, what'd you say, Dick? I said he's an embarrassment to every honest uh, lawyer. 
I'm sorry, Rusty, I, I cut you off. No, that's all right. You know, uh, I, in the mid-60s, 1965, I went to Montgomery, Alabama to teach school. I got there in August of 65, Selma, Montgomery. It was February of 65. I taught the son of um, a judge named Frank Johnson, who I still consider the greatest judge at, uh, at the district court level uh, that I could ever imagine. He made many of the civil rights decisions that were so key. He had to have an FBI agent down park outside his house this entire time because of the unpopularity of his decisions. I think lawyers have forever been called it. He's the judge that allowed the settlement of Montgomery March. Um, and I think lawyers are periodically called on, on trying to do something that they think is important to the system uh, and to society. Uh, I uh, started out as a, a history school teacher, American history. That was my first year before I went into the Army. Uh, my oldest son is uh, a school teacher teaching American history, interestingly enough. Uh, I, I like Dick, um, and Dick has a much longer history in Texas than I do. I, we got started, and I'm going to learn a lot more stories about his family, interesting stories from a history standpoint, uh, because I grew up in North Carolina, and uh, we came to Texas in 72. So we've been here that long, but we haven't been here as long as Dick and his family. And, and this, this state, you know, um, we, we take a lot of heat nationally sometimes about extreme things that may or may not happen or weather or events or sports or what but deep down I'm always conscious that I'm really glad I got here and I've been here this long because this is a state that honors honor and this is a trial about dishonor and whether or not if that dishonor is sufficient that he should no longer hold his office what the history and may has been real clear is Holding public office is not a right, it's a privilege. So the impeachment process is not, he's entitled to a fair hearing, but the impeachment process is not about whether or not he's being deprived of a right he has. He doesn't have a right to hold office. He does it with the privilege and he has a privilege, the privilege is to do things better and differently than he's done. You guys have been generous with your time, but before we let you go, we, we don't get a chance to talk to a couple of icons like you guys very often. What, considering all the stuff that you guys have done, the, the clients you've had, the cases you've tried, uh, what do you want your legacy to be? And, and Dick, we'll start with you. Well, you know, I've, I've thought about that, of course. Uh, I'm, I'm very proud of the teaching that I've done for 25 years at the law school at the University of Texas. And uh, of my alumni, the, the, the kids that I've taught, uh, I, I want uh, to set an example that I can be proud of and they can be proud of and that my children and grandchildren can be proud of and to show uh, the general public, the people of Texas, what lawyers really do and how we are servants of the people, uh, the justice system is uh, there because it rights wrongs. And that's what we're trying to do. Rusty? I think on a personal level, I've said many times, the thing I'm most proud of is that I've got two sons doing public service. One's a school teacher and one's a police officer. But in terms of, of my own life, I just, uh, it would be, you know, they ask you to pick things. 
and I, I would say he tried to do it right. He cared. I know Dick cares. I care. And we've given our, our professional lives uh, to the profession of the practice of law. And uh, when people go over the line and don't do it the right way and have the potential to harm so many people, it's time to answer the call. The magnitude of this impeachment, that's part of both of your legacies, don't you think? Yeah. Uh, for, this, better, for better or worse, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this I, is I, I think right up front right top. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I tell you, uh, what's, what's interesting to me is what I referred to earlier is uh, I'm, I'm really happy that Dick and I are doing this together because we, we travel separately for so long. It's, 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 it's kind of fun to meet up at this time. Yeah, Russell, last thing. Oh, I'm sorry. I was, let me ask you do, do people ever still heckle you with what Anna Nicole Smith called you? I was in the courtroom that day <laughs> in Harris County, and every time someone says Rusty's name, I think, screw you, Rusty. Yeah, actually. You ever still actually, hear that? There was about three years ago. Now, remember, the Anna Nicole Smith is trial is like 99 and 2000. Right. And there's this. This little blue-haired ladies in the back of the back of the plane, and just as I put my bag up on a Southwest Airlines flight, she yells out, "Screw you, Rusty!" So, I, uh, I that never bothered me. You know, it's it's part of the same old thing. You know, just simply spell your name right. Uh, so, but at any rate. It, it lives on still. Uh, I'm sure that both of you have been called plenty of things over the years. You know, uh, you know, as we let you go here, you know that you're going to be called Democrats and liberals or rhinos or whatever it is. We've already been hearing that about uh, some of the folks in the House and the Republican side who, who voted for impeachment here. Um, you know, I, I think that this is a, a sort of a testament to how you feel about that, Rusty. We're having to wrap this up now because you've got something to go to. Can you explain what that is and how that fits into this puzzle? Yeah, well, actually, it is ironic. So 29 years ago, in February of 94, a guy named Bob Fisk was appointed the special prosecutor to investigate the then President Clinton about conduct when he was the governor. Uh, and I was contacted and asked to be the chief trial lawyer for it. Primarily, I say I only got the job because of my accent, because the case was in Arkansas, and Bob and a lot of the staff were from New England or New York, etc., and they thought that might not play well in, in Little Rock, Arkansas. Uh, but I did that for a year. And it wasn't part of the impeachment process. I, I worked under both him and Ken Starr. And then I left before uh, it got to the, the Monica Lewinsky stage and the stuff that led to impeachment. But it was the beginning of, of investigating a very prominent Democrat. And, uh, and just as I said earlier, Dick and I both uh, had both prosecuted and defended both parties. And... I expected in like this coming week, I've, I've, I'm tilting at windmills or tilting at, at a, a Democratic official in Harris County that's very popular. Uh, the day after tilting down in, on behalf of, of, of a couple of women that people would, would say, well, on the other side of the political spectrum. So I, I think that, uh, you know, I don't know what party Dick belongs to. And I've belonged to both. I have belonged to both back and forth and not always in the same deal. I said the other day, I think it's so important that this thing rise above party, that, that it truly doesn't have anything to do with being a Republican versus a Democrat. Uh, and I think it's totally irrelevant. And quite frankly, I like and, uh, and really enjoy people in both parties. 
But you're uh, there in New York right now for a, a reunion, sort of, of all the Whitewater folks. The 29th the Clinton reunion? investigation. There, I'm, I'm about to go down and have a glass of wine with a bunch of people that we all. <laughs> I can't. Every year you see the aging process, right? I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing 29 <laughs> years later. How does everybody look? But that's what it's about, guys. <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you guys so much. We really appreciate the, the time and, and the generosity. We'll be watching as this happens this summer. And I do hope you guys get some vacation time in because you you definitely deserve it with the careers you've had. Thanks right. for having You guys sit there. Take care. We'll have Dave. to do this again sometime, guys. Thank you so All much. Right. All right. Bye. -bye.